Hello, Sally. Oh, hi, hi. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Okay, good. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, it's uh, night time and it's been quite hot, very rainy here. Okay, yeah, because you're in Australia now. Yeah, yeah, I'm in Australia. Okay. Yeah, how about you? you I'm in Italy, so yeah, the other, completely the opposite timing and everything. Yeah. (laughs) How was today? Has it been a good day? Will I like it? You've already had experienced it. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was, was here. <laughs> hey, well, I'm just, uh, super excited to chat to Tom and, and yourself. It's uh, this is a, this is a stellar episode. I'm really excited for this one. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Do you, um, so I've got questions. Do you ask and things as well? Or? Um, if you run out at the end, but it's best that I found it more, the format's evolved and it's better that you ask the questions and. Because yep. then it's it's different every time, and it's um, yeah. Also, you read the whole book, so yeah. How, how was your, how, What did you think? You could tell me yeah, everything. Really <laughs> yeah, I really, honestly, really, really liked it, mm. and um, will recommend um, you know, friends, the friends to read it. Yeah, I've got quite quite a few friends who have similar interests in you know that sort of thing. Things in, but yeah, it seems like a very necessary book. No, we're all very. Yeah. 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 But it's something you're moving in that direction and you've done this rise up song, which I'm in love with. Oh yeah. 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 We did that for, yeah. The environmental sort of community thing. Yeah. Where I live. Yeah. So definitely into all that sort of thing. Yeah. So you're using your powers for good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, Well, I mean, you have great powers. You've, you're, I mean. You're most famous for the, for the one, two, three, we're diving straight into an interview here. This is not my normal conversational style, but, uh, one, two, three, four song by Feist is yeah. your, is your big claim to fame now. Yeah. Yeah. That's my most successful yeah. thing I've been a part of. Yeah. That's a, that's it's awesome. amazing. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was second, it was, it was in billboard. It was the, oh, did this. Second best song of the year, apparently, in all the world. So, yeah, and Time Magazine and things like that. Oh, was it Time? Well? Yeah, people just really seem to resonate with that song. Yeah. And um, I remember a friend saying, actually, she was living in the UK, and she said there was just nothing on the radio like that at the time when it came out as well. So that's why maybe it just stood out a bit because of that too. Yeah, mm. it's because it, you have so many great songs. So you must feel like a bit like this one. You, did you know it was going to connect when you wrote it or is that? No, I just, um, I wrote it thinking it sounded like a Feist song. And then that's kind of why I asked her if she wanted to sing it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, yeah. It's hard as a songwriter, isn't it? To think yeah. will this song connect with everybody? <laughs> um, <laughs> this should probably, this should hit this, this demographic. <laughs> Because then you, you just, because you're back in Australia now, but you did live in LA for a bit. Is that right? Yeah. I lived in LA for a few years. Um, what was that like? Oh, great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really loved it. I, 
Um, I've got a daughter and she was about five. So she went to school and got a bit of an accent and I wrote lots of songs with lots of different people and had quite a few friends, um, that lived there as well, just from people from Australia. And then also people I'd just met sort of through the music industry over the years. Um, yeah, so I really, I really loved it. It's good. Yeah. I think if you want to develop as a songwriter, there was one bit of advice I heard in the songwriting podcast that it's moved to where all the songwriters are. Yeah, I know. It's like, you know, in all different types. And there is, I mean, it is, I guess, common knowledge in a way. It's, there's so much, there's a lot of positivity there. Or just you feel um, supported by other songwriters and other people in the music industry. And it's not so much like a competition. It's just about all being there and working on great creative stuff and inspiring each other. So that was, that was nice to experience that. Wow. So why did you move back? Or you wanted to see your daughter? Well, yeah, I just felt like, I don't know where they really, I I mean, even though I loved living there, I just wanted to come back home to Australia, I live in Sydney and I don't know, I just feel like this is where my body and soul want to be. Um, who knows where I'll, what I'll do in the future, but, um, yeah, I just felt like I'd, I'd had a good time there and it, and it was time to come home. Yeah. I've been, I've traveled around Australia, um, on a kind of a couch, a couch concert, house concert tour. And when we stopped in Sydney, it was, ah, oh, it's a beautiful place with the, you've got all these little inlets and bays and yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a very interesting area. We stayed out near Byron Bay in New and Byron Bay and, uh, no, not Byron Bay. Sorry. That's further North. What was the name of the, uh, the famous beach? Oh, uh, Bell's Bondi beach. Monday. Uh, yeah. 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 Sorry. Bell's beach in Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. Merging together in my mind. But yeah. It's just so many different districts and which part are you in? I live in the Northern beaches so that it's about an hour from the city. Oh, so that's right near the beach. Yeah, Yeah, very pretty. It's just beautiful. So much nature. That's kind of why we wanted to come out here. And um, there's also pit water, which is like a huge um, body of water that there's lots of sailing boats and um, big walks that you can do all through bushland. And yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, very good for. um, Yeah, it calms my system, and yeah, it's what I needed. That's what you need as a songwriter, isn't it? Because you get, I don't know, you get quite out of yourself sometimes when you can get up very quickly. I don't know if you're the same personality, but uh, yeah, I need a grounding. Yeah, yeah. I definitely feel, I mean, I love the city and I love cities and love visiting cities, but um, living a little bit out of the city, I, yeah, I definitely do feel more grounded and think that that's, that's what... Um, yeah, what I need in my life at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So what else? Are you working on a new album as well? Or are you... Well, you Because you also written a book as well. It's like you're yeah, doing a lot. Yeah, I wrote a, wrote a novel. That's why when I moved home from LA, I wrote a book. And that was a wonderful experience and I loved it. Um, and I've just got an, I've got an album finished, a solo album, and that, that will come out in a few months. Um, so I'm doing all those sort of, you know, I've made a video clip and preparing for all of that sort of thing, which is exciting. So I haven't done an album for a little while. <laughs> yeah. It's been a quite a while now. 
in, yeah. in music terms, I mean. Yeah, yep. And is that yeah. is it is your husband Darren producing that as well? Uh yeah, Darren produced that, which is good. We we work together. He's a producer and musician, and we work together um, sometimes, and then other times we do separate stuff. Yeah, but that was um, we we recorded that together, and he definitely was the producer director, um, which is great. And sometimes <laughs> there's a bit of conflict. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, we're, we're both really happy with it. It, it, it is, it is quite special when you can work with your partner. It's good. Yeah. And he is not just, he's not just for anyone that doesn't know, he's not just any producer. He is, he has had some small success on his own. Yeah. See, he founded or co-founded the Avalanches and was in the Avalanches for a long time. Um, and then decided to sort of move away from that and just kind of do other different things but yeah he's really brilliant musically and um yeah he just has an eccentric sort of um doesn't want to follow the rules kind of style which is good for me you know and frees me up a bit <laughs> wow wow that's some producer to have in house i mean <laughs> yeah. literally in the house <laughs> yeah because <laughs> for this song we was going to say i'm going to say you can work with our music produce music team producers so you know obviously darren's probably very busy but if he wants to do anything <laughs> it'd be great you know okay. <laughs> yeah. it's still completely open to that thank you yeah. okay <laughs> brilliant wow so and do you have any already have you already written a song for this one are you well for... you know i i sort of have a song that could fit with this that I've never okay. recorded, but I think I'm going to, I think I, I would love writing songs. So I think I will want to write or a whole new thing. Yeah. But, That's great. Um, yeah. It's fun to, I, I mean, the thing I love about songwriting is it's so fun to think what is going to inspire me. Like what is going to be that little spark that goes off? <laughs> um, because you, you just don't know, you know, you can have a day where you're wandering around and then it's like. Oh wow, that's like a great thing to write a song about. So, yeah, it'll be fun to sort of to see. What yeah, it's just, we say it's funny and strange experience for us for this side of this project, pod songs with this songwriting. You know, you, you're charged with the inspiration for an hour, and I'm really, I'm really up after the interview. I need to go and stick my dig a hole and stick my feet into it afterwards. To yeah, discharge some energy. But yeah, songs really come straight away they often it's just like you know the the title not even the title of their books because sometimes well you know when people have written their books they've really put like a lot of thought into their books you know they've really these are smart people yeah and, you know they've done all the thinking that you can just sometimes make the book jacket rhyme the back cover and then or there's just some it's just some snappy phrase he comes out with and then you've got a title and then that kind of you know things can flow from yeah that and, it's helpful because I've found, especially if like when, when I was living in LA and even back here, if I'm writing a lot of songs all in one go, a lot of it is, what do I want to say? What is this going to be about? Cause I love lyrics and, um, yeah. So doing a thing like this, it's like, great. <laughs> he's, he's going to have something to say. He's going to have, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> really ignite ignites fresh ideas and yeah yeah which is such a, 
especially, especially, especially for someone like you, who's writing so many songs, you look, you repeating yourself, weren't you worried about repeating yourself? This is a mm. new, this is a chance. You're not, I don't think you've ever written a song about this subject before. No, no, I don't think I have either. It's specifically. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really good. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, I've had, I've had guests on that have covered this similar before. I see these patterns returning like compassion and borders. I've had quite a few guests about international borders and how that causes so many problems and corporations, mm. how they cause so many problems. And it does seem to, it just seem to be these patterns in the guests and what he's talking about. And I like how he's approaching it as a, from an evolution, evolutionary, he's an evolutionary biologist. Yeah. So he has these. Mm. He has this vocabulary and he's kind of talk. I'd also had Rupert Sheldrake on who had this morphic resonance theory. And that I don't think that they're not even sometimes talking to us so much as to talking to us, seem to be talking to other scientists, trying to convince them about the interconnectedness in this case. So. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So I definitely get a definitely get a lot from reading all these different, seeing all these different. It's like the elephant and the blind men, you know that analogy of the um, these these blind men who go into the who meet this elephant and they each fit a different part of the elephant, and then they say one says, "No, it is like a it's like a rope. No, it's like a tree. It's like a wall." And they're all <laughs> they're all adding something to my understanding of of the world with all their different different descriptions of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to read, read things where you're going, oh, oh, I hadn't thought about that in that way. Like I love, I love that, you know, and it, that happened a few times while I was reading the book. Um, yeah. It's this definition, I guess, of expanding your knowledge and yeah, learning new things. Yeah. Just before there were all these cockatoos in the tree making such a loud noise, you know, cockatoos, they're like an Australian, maybe better. It's time for them, is it? The, the... So loud. Yeah, there's a big gum tree at the back, oh, sort of near, near this window. And I was like, oh, this is going to be funny if they're really loud. But yeah, they've all gone to sleep now. Mm, and I can hear them. Yeah, I can hear the crickets and cicadas or. Wow. Bugs, it's a lot of bugs. Because it's summer for you, so you have a full season of. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a very wet summer, so there's just uh, yeah, lots of animals. <laughs> the Australian. <laughs> well, we we all follow um, Australian meteorology very closely because of all the you have in, in one or extreme to the other, aren't you? With fires and floods, and it's biblical. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we've just had really bad floods um, about 10 hours from us up north. Oh, just terrible. Like, but we're just kind of bit like, and I, I don't, everyone's complaining the government hasn't handled it properly and they need proper, like, environmental emergency things in place. Mm -hmm. Just, just like loads of people, thousands of people suddenly kind of homeless and, oh, must be awful. But, and then, but then also with Ukraine happening, it's like, 
my daughter keeps saying, mom, you should feel sorry for the people in Ukraine. I'm like, I do, but it's also bad for the people in the floods. Um, yeah, it's just crazy time. And the fires as well. Did you get that in the summer? In the last, last summer? Yeah, they weren't here, but it was very intense. It was, it was just kind of worse than it's ever been, I think. This was, this was just before the pandemic started. We had these crazy fires here. Um, yeah, it was really wild. It was, and, and, and there was thick smoke in the sky all throughout the city, like for days at that. And I can't, can't remember that ever happening where, where it's, they were sort of saying, oh, actually, this is actually really bad for your health. People are going to need to wear masks and things. It was, it was really frightening, but just also just a, they're, they're all just like wake up calls really, you know, for people to just really start making big changes in terms of climate. Oh, that comes into our book. What we're talking about is yeah, yeah climate behavior. Mm -hmm. and Wow. Yeah. You must've wondered what was happening. Then Corona came along and you were locked, locked down a lot in Australia. Yeah. yeah Cause we were all like the flyers raise money, musicians raising money for the flyers. And then, it, and then it was bam, COVID. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but. At least you had your masks ready. I mean, yeah, I know. You... <laughs> Jeez. Oh, dear. Well, well, at least nothing can go wrong now. Oh, <laughs> but, um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so, do you live? You live in Rome. I'm actually. I'm actually an hour and a half south of Napoli. So I'm in the countryside. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Opposite the Amalfi coast. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh my gosh. How nice. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh yeah. We did a trip a couple of years ago. We went to Puglia. Is it the name? Puglia. <laughs> it's not Puglia, but it's pronounced that Puglia. 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 Um, what's that other like Sister Nina or something or, uh, Italy? No, no, probably are. And then have all the Trullo houses. We stayed in this amazing, yep, yep. like five-star rated Airbnb, those beautiful um, roofs on them. Yeah, 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 yeah. With horses and, oh, we just had the best time. <laughs> we loved it. So beautiful there and so old. Oh, it is, yeah. Near to here. Well, it's beautiful where I am as well, but it's, mm. more, it's more mountains. It's, it's a poorer area. and. Um, but this, you've got better architecture in Puglia, but you've got more nature here. It's like a big national park. Yeah. We have the seas and the mountains. And... Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, is the man himself. Hello, Tom. Hello. Uh, hello. 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 Ah, good. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Nice to meet you, Sally. Joe. Yeah, nice to meet you. <laughs> Just give me a moment. I'm just going to check my, um, yeah, the microphone is the right one. Um, okay. I think that's okay. Yeah. Great. Super. Well, okay. thanks so much for taking the time to chat. No, no. Thanks for your interest. Yeah. It's great. It's really exciting. Actually. It's such yeah. a nice idea to kind of combine music and, and literature and yeah. Yeah, you must get many people offering to write songs about the book. So it's great you chose us. <laughs> well, no, I wish, I wish. Uh, I, this is the first time I've sort of heard of this idea of, you know, kind of, uh, you know, music to uh, 
the ideas in a book. I think it's really cool though. Yeah, me, me too. As soon, as soon as you emailed, I was like, sure, I'd love, to, love this idea. It's just copying from the film industry. They do all the time. You think they'd have any good, be many good films without stealing from books. So we're just taking a leaf out of their, their playbook. <laughs> yeah. 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 But well, no, I mean, yeah, I'm intrigued to, um, to kind of, yeah, see, see how, well, how Sally's uh, <laughs> interpretation of the ideas are kind of converted into music. Yeah. Hmm. Well, <laughs> I'm intrigued well, as well. I don't know what else. Do. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't know where this is going to come from. So it might, have, you know, it's going to be a great song with Sally on board. But uh, it's up to you. It's put a lot of pressure on you there, Tom, as well to to, pu to pump us with inspiration for the next hour. Right. Okay, I'll do my best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think Sally's got a bunch of questions for you. Yeah, I've got questions. Okay, here's my Oh, go for it. <laughs> okay. Um. Right. I don't usually interview people, so um, bear with me. Um, okay. I'd like to start by asking if you could tell us a bit about yourself, things like where you grew up and what your childhood was like and that kind of thing. Yeah, sure. So um, I, was, um, I was actually born in Nairobi in Kenya, although I only lived there for a year. Um, and my, my parents were... Um, my dad was a civil engineer, so we ended up there. And we also ended up in Malaysia. So I spent from when I was five years old till 10 in Malaysia. Um, and, and then I lived in England the rest of the time. Um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of my background. I've always had an interest in, in um, well, sort of nature and, and uh, biology. And in Malaysia, I used to watch, you know, these um, ants that were... Uh, work together and, and weaver ants they're called and they build a nest uh pulling leaves together and they they even use the, the larvae as little miniature glue guns to kind of uh produce silk wow lays the leaves together and i was always just amazed how they kind of seamlessly you know work as a unit and and kind of what creates that that sense of wholeness in the ants and then obviously there's analogies for how human society you know could work or, or could not work um, so, so I always had those interests and, and that led me to a career in, in, in ecology. Uh, and but I've always used to read, I'd used to go to the library in Lancaster and get out books about kind of Buddhism and Zen and Taoism and, and really had an interest in kind of Eastern religions and, um, then reading more recently how they've, there's a lot of correlates in psychology, you know, they've, they're kind of finding a lot of the, the experiments in psychology almost essentially um, you know, proving what a, a lot of sort of Buddhists, um, scholars kind of found through more introspective approaches. And then in the book, really, it was exciting for me because I kind of saw what way that these two sort of interests in my life would come together because I kind of quickly realized that if you want to protect nature, you know, it's not in the realm of ecology. Um, you have to kind of move and think about other topics like economics and but actually even beyond that, uh, you know, why people make decisions and how we influence, you know, society's decisions. And then it goes into psychology. And then even then you, the, the real sort of deeper changes, um, that we kind of really need to protect nature are kind of much deeper at the level of identity. And actually that's where these ideas about sort of concepts of, um, you know, moving away from this isolated individualism towards a much greater sort of collective sense of self 
engenders that sort of care that people then put into their actions about protecting the natural world. So it was, it was nice to sort of feel those interests coming together in the book. Great. Um, okay. So, um, I actually had a question high up the top of my list, um, which I'll go to now because you've already mentioned it. I really loved your fascination with ants, um, after reading your book <laughs> and, um, how you, do you describe them? Was it like a society, something like they, they work as a society? Um, did you want to talk a little more about that? I know you just kind of touched on that a bit. Um, like why, what, what else was it with ants that you just loved even since when you were a boy? Yeah, I, I think they, the ants work together. So they, because they, um, they essentially are like a super organism. I mean, literally because they. The, the workers forego reproduction and then the queen is the, is the reproductive unit. So they're, they're actually, um, you know, working together as one, as one kind of unit. And in a way, you know, the, the levels of cooperation are sort of huge in those colonies. And it's just amazing as well, how they, um, you know, develop these complex cooperative behaviors to allow them to, to persist and kind of adapt to the environment and humans actually we're, we're also the most sort of um mutualistic species in the sense that we help each other and cooperate i mean any little thing you know this this you know notepad whatever is is the product of a thousand minds you know who designed the card who designed the paper who transported the um the products who who cut the trees down you know, it, all those minds are coming together yeah. in that, that one object. And in that sense, I, I just find that fascinating the way that, you know, society can work in such a, um, a kind of integrated way to, to produce all these, this kind of abundance and, and, uh, that we have, but equally, um, the actions of society can be kind of harmful for our own sort of persistence. And it's trying to understand the ways we can better work together. I'm not suggesting that we move to the form of a social organization ants have and have one giant queen that, that uh, <laughs> reproduces. I mean, you could imagine a dystopian future where, you know, people were sterilized and then there was some genetic selection of babies that was centralized through the state. <laughs> that's certainly not what I'm talking about, but actually. That, um, that's a good uh, film idea if someone wanted to do like a bit of a B grade. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Film, yeah. <laughs> yeah a bit sinister. And, um, but I think, you know, just, um, but moving towards that sense of a, of, of a, um, a collective identity and, and in the world today, you know, we, we're split into, you know, fragmented nations and this, this, um, these compete with each other. And actually I, for me, this sense, because we live on a globalized planet and our economies are globalized and, you know, the, the, the um, our impacts on the world are globalized, whether it's the climate or air pollution or biodiversity or ocean acidification. We need this sort of more globalized sense of, of citizenship. And so to see ourselves as one sort of entity of humankind. And to me, that's, that's important, um, because otherwise we won't effectively function together. It's like an ant colony where there's, you know, uh, massive contests between different factions. We, we kind of need to resolve that. And for me, our identity is a kind of key element for that. 
And you say also when ants get a virus, they, they take the one out and kill him and, and I then do social distancing. Yeah. 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 They're, they're, um, it's amazing that the behaviors that they, um, yeah, so really complex behaviors. I mean, you think their, their brains are just the size of, you know, uh, not much more than a pinhead, I suppose, but these complex behaviors are actually sort of part of their, um, yeah, it, it's, it's just the way they work together. Those kind of, uh, social rules and, and kind of behaviors are part of uh, sort of at the level of the colony. Um, Great. Okay. Um, next question is, um, I was really fascinated, um, by the sec the sections in your book about the butterfly effect, followed by genuinely believable theories that we risk the extinction of our own species. Can you refresh our minds with an ex explanation of the butterfly effect and talk us through this very confronting concept that without focusing on connection, humans could face extinction? Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a, that's a big question for, uh, for Monday morning. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's good. I like that we're going to be easy. Did we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Butterfly effect first. Can you just solve the world before breakfast and, uh, <laughs> Um, no, I think it's, yeah, the, and I, the butterfly effect is a nice sort of concept. It was, um, it was first named from a conference, um, a presentation by someone called, um, uh, I'm going to get the name wrong now. Uh, I think it's Lorenz, Conrad Lorenz. Yeah, um, and he, he was developing computer models and realized that a very small, uh, change, like literally decimal points in the sort of starting parameters. He was trying to model the weather and it would produce completely different weather patterns based on these very tiny sort of changes. Um, and this is the, so it kind of brings together the idea that this is a sort of, um, one big global weather system, obviously, and actually tiny changes in one part, um, can cause an impact elsewhere. So his, his, um, uh, idea was, or the way he kind of framed it was like a, a butterfly flapping its wings in one country could cause a tornado in another country through this kind of correlated, you know, relationships. Um, and actually, our, you know, systems are like that. We're, we're deeply connected in the sense that when it might not seem a lot, but when we buy a product or something, you know, the, the impacts kind of ripple across the world and might lead to, you know, destruction of a rainforest if it's you know, a product contained palm oil and it's destroying the habitats of orangutans, um, and rainforests and maybe having social impacts. I mean, it, it's a small effect, but those, you know, there are billions of us and we buy many things on a daily basis. So those impacts kind of accumulate and, and ripple across the world to create these sort of tidal waves of, of destruction. Or equally, if we, you know, we can t reverse that and, and create sort of very positive impacts elsewhere as well. So we have that power and that influence through these, these connected systems. Um, but it also goes beyond our, our sort of physical actions. It's also about, um, our mindsets and the way we talk and, and our cultures as well, because we are sort of immersed ourselves, you know, we are, um, creatures of language and we sort of absorb, uh, our culture through, through language, whether it's what we read or the music that we hear or how we speak to each other. And those words are very important in kind of structuring the way we think. So even on the, the basis of just how we, we talk to each other and how we frame, you know, um, 
that 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 creates these contagion effects which then sort of can change culture so very sort of individualistic language and saying you know greed is good or whatever actually you know can have an impact on how other people perceive the world as well it frames their 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 cognition um so you know extending the, the the kind of analogy of the butterfly effect it's not just that a butterfly flapping its wings in one country could cause a tornado actually elsewhere you know by us for example thinking in a more sort of pro-environmental pro-social mindset um ultimately through a sense of kind of love that because we we care about the world we see other species and other people as part of ourselves so thinking about a butterfly and protecting a butterfly can actually lead to impacts you know on the other side of the world where butterflies might be protected because you know we're not destroying um uh, you know grassland habitats or rainforest habitats where butterflies reside so it's it, that, that connectedness goes beyond just the sort of physical realm but actually into our, our our mental realms as well and the links between what's in our minds and actually the the, the real the reality uh, the physical reality all around the world is is um you know it's it's clear that those connections exist great yeah Okay, um, thinking about First Nation Australians, who are the oldest, the world's oldest civilization, along with other indigenous peoples and tribes from around the world, almost all of these, or pretty much all of these cultures from thousands of years ago, place a deep sense of importance on the connectedness between humans and nature. Do you agree that we have a lot to learn from these peoples and how can we incorporate their culture within our modern world? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I, I think we've, there's a sort of dangerous sense of arrogance in our kind of modern Western view. Sometimes it's so short term. And we think because we've had all these technological advances that, you know, um, we're at the kind of frontier of everything, but actually I, I do think there's a strong case that, um, we haven't actually developed in a kind of moral or spiritual sense very much at all. And in fact, you know, you could make some argument that in many cases, there's been some regression and actually. Uh, many indigenous cultures actually had much more sophisticated um, kind of ways of enabling kind of, um, yeah, not just morality, but also sort of a, a closer sense of spirituality and a sense of um, uh, direct sort of connectedness. And, you know, for example, some cultures, you know, they would take um, uh, things like, you know, magic mushrooms or things like that. And actually, you know, through different, um, practices, which create that kind of direct spiritual experience on individual people. Whereas, you know, we, we, in, in some cases, we very much religions have organized religions have gone down the way of saying, well, it's the, it's the priest, you know, who has the, the contact with God. And then you've just got to listen to what the priest says and that actually divorces, um, that direct connection. So both sort of a direct spirituality, um, which in many ancient traditions and even ancient Christian mystic traditions, as well as, um, you know, Buddhism and Zen and Hinduism, each of these, uh, and indigenous cultures have early on had much more direct sort of spiritual, um, kind of, uh, connections. And they also had a sort of more sophisticated moles in some case, you know, like thinking about seven generations ahead and, and seven generations in the past. So thinking about what decisions you might make, well, how would it affect, you know, seven generations forward? 
I mean, that's, that's, you know, crazy. We don't think of that now about how will my decisions now affect someone 150 years in the future. It's lucky if you think about what's going to happen, like, in, you know, in two months with that short term. And that's probably because of our high pace of, you know, technology and culture and social media and, in, you know, industrialization and every sort of minute it counts now. Whereas that kind of taking the longer view. Uh, I think is a feature of many of those indigenous cultures. So essentially it's wisdom. It's wisdom through direct contact with nature and in introspection and, and through kind of cultures which respect nature and, and have that. A lot of those um, cultures see nature as, a, um, as an ancestor, a sort of part of it, you know, that sense of kinship. And that occurs all around the world in many indigenous cultures. And, and it's something that we've lost because we very much have this idea of human exceptionalism that we are you know there's humans and then there's animals well there's not you know we are deeply connected that level of dna um and um yeah it that that sense of kinship with the natural world is something that we've lost i think it's very beautiful it's a very beautiful part of their cultures i think and yeah i know here in australia there are people who are really working on drawing to um, have those indigenous um, belief systems and that sort of thing yeah. back into Western culture. Yeah, I think there's a lot we could learn. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, this is kind of just a um, bit, bit next step from what we were just talking about. So in terms of climate change and the catastrophic disasters we're witnessing around the world, why is it so important for us to develop a closer relationship with nature and to stop seeing nature as external from us. So, yeah, I, I think that's a really important point, given where we are in a kind of, um, you know, sort of dangerous position of creating this, this crisis, not just of climate change, but other crises that are linked as well, sort of biodiversity loss and um, air pollution, etc. And what one of the core sort of um, ways we can transform the system is these, these, um, these deeper changes, not trying to sort of, I mean, obviously it's important to change, you know, economic regulations and taxes and, you know, incentives, but actually those, those institutional elements are, are, are kind of on the surface as it were. And you, you can make those changes to those elements, but you won't fix the deeper problem, which is, you know, our worldviews are structured that create those structures and, you know, they create our institutions, how, you know, how we educate people, what, what our government looks like, what our legislative systems look like. So all those institutions stem from our worldviews. So people trying to create the sort of fixes at the outer level, um, is fine, but we also need to create this deeper transformation at the inner level. Revolution. Sorry. Inner yeah. Revolution. An inner revolution. Yeah. I, I, I think it, it really needs that, that to go to the heart of the problem, as it were. Um, and so though, and that relates to our, to our mindsets now. So we've had this, um, many from the enlightenment, as it were, you know, Rene Descartes having this, this idea that, um, you know, a mind and the body is split and our bodies are sort of just machines. And then, you know, the, the, the divine element is in our sort of human minds. Again, this sort of human exceptionalism. And the body is just sort of bunch of matter that we just direct around, like driving a tank around or something, you know, but actually, um, 
that that world and that that um, mechanistic worldview is carried, you know, through um, into the modern day. But actually, um, and what it leads to is a sense of uh, ultimately kind of isolated individualism. Uh, and at its extreme, it becomes narcissism, where you know we just think, you know, here's me in the world, and I, I just need to look after myself, and it doesn't matter what I do to other entities because they are other. And I'm me, and I'm kind of calculating the benefits that accrue to me. Um, but, and that culture has led to, you know, damage in the world because we can sort of offset our damages and, and you know, create pollution or impact species, impact other people. So to, to solve that, um, I really think it needs a, a kind of change in our identity where we bring in those other, um, we expand our sense of self-identity and our sense of care goes from beyond just caring about me or my family to actually seeing other people and other species as part of our, our kin, our kin. And then there was a, a philosopher called Arnie Nace and a Norwegian philosopher. And this was his idea that we could develop this ecological self, which, um, we see, you know, everything on the planet as part of ourselves. And, and so the sense of care becomes extended he, That was sort of quite speculative, but actually there's been hundreds of papers in environmental psychology in recent years, which have, have shown Arnie to be essentially right when people um, have this sense of identity, which incorporates other, other entities, um, that they actually, you know, looking after them is not a sense of, it's not an altruistic act. You're not doing something to, to help something else at the cost to you. You're doing it because actually you see that as just looking after, you know, um, a broader a sense of care. So that's, you know, when people feel this sense of connectedness to nature, for example, and you can measure that with various, um, sort of surveys. So things like ask, the last questions, you know, how much do you see nature as part of us? You know, questions like this, um, when people score high on those surveys, they tend to recycle more. They, they volunteer for environmental causes. They reduce their carbon footprint. So, and obviously then they also vote in a way, which is, you know, uh, trying to change governance. Uh, and so you can see those changes both at the sort of level of what we buy and our consumption and how we travel, but also how we then structure our institutions. If we're a teacher, it will affect how we teach people. So all those sort of education systems, legal systems, economic systems kind of flow, flow from those mind mindsets. Um, so I think, yeah, it's important. And it, and that also sometimes these problems like climate change can seem so daunting because it's, it's out there, you know, it's something so much bigger what I can do, but actually we see some of the solutions are in, in our minds right now. They're the way, you know, the way we view ourselves, the way we feel connected to nature. And then that affects how we act, how we talk, how we relate to others. And that can create these sort of contagion effects, which creates quite very sort of rapid change potential. Yeah. Yep. Um, I might actually just cut to this question to sing as you were just talking about that. Um, I loved the part, the part in your book about, um, our Maureen's cause I love the Maureen's and, um, I just have here, I agree with the sections in your book where you talk about our interconnected minds and how we are often unaware of how connected to other people we really are. So in you just saying, you know, if there's a teacher and she's connected to nature, then that's the way she's going to teach or he. Um, so 
Um, I love the sentence that you wrote that says, um, and I quote, emotions are also transferred between people by chemical messages in the air. Can you please expand on this concept? Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I, I think, um, it's, there's some interesting sort of, um, studies that go on to sort of, uh, uh, reveal our hidden influences that we have on, on one another. I mean, our, our, the way we think and our emotions, our, our cognition is sort of embodied. It's very much depends on our physiology, you know, um, even to the extent, you know, many of us have read about sort of gut bacteria and how they can actually, you know, affect our moods. So, um, and, um, yeah, so, so the way we act and the way we feel very much depends on our physiology and also, um, pheromones, which are sort of, uh, smell chemicals that we produce all the time can actually influence each other as well. So they, they, that sort of, um, physical mechanisms, essentially in the same room as other people, we can transfer emotions, both negative and positive emotions. So, um, there's some really kind of neat experiments showing, I mean, it, from the sort of negative emotion side, like there's uh, feelings of sort of fear and anxiety can be transferred between people, even though there's no kind of words being spoken. So they, they have some experiments where they, um, put people in a stressful situation, like doing a stressful exam or, or skydiving and make them wear a t-shirt. And then they have a control set of, of participants who are doing some kind of exercise. So they may be sweating, but not in a way not caused by sort of anxiety. So then they take the two sets of t-shirts and then they put them on mannequins. And these mannequins are the one, the type that are dentists perform. Um, they practice dental surgery on these mannequins and some are dressed in the t-shirts with the kind of anxiety chemicals on, and some are the controls sort of still sweaty, but not, not you may, you wouldn't tell the difference consciously, but then they measure how many mistakes the dentists make and the dentists make more mistakes when they're exposed to these uh, chemicals that were on in the, uh, you know, anxiety uh, treatment. So, you know, we're influencing each other all the time, just through the sort of hidden chemicals in the air. And, and actually put this, there's more research done recently about positive, um, emotional contagion as well through, through pheromones. Um, so, so, you know, there's that physical sense of, of connectedness and, um, but even just, um, through, through our, our, for example, through our social networks, we're influencing each other. And there's, there's some nice studies showing that even people you haven't met in your social network are kind of influencing your behaviors and your tastes and preferences. So, um, that those effects are obviously mediated through how people speak and how they, they react and that, that, that we are connected to. So this kind of a contagion of, of ideas and preferences and, you know, your risk of obesity, your risk of suicide is influenced by, um, people you've never met in these, these social networks. Yes. And so it matters how we, you know, how we talk and obviously, um, that, that then is a reflection of our sort of deeper mindsets as well. Yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> um, back to some environmental stuff now. Um, you mentioned over an email that I got that you probably don't know that I got, um, that you've recently become interested in links between global environmental change and our self-identity. Could you tell us more about this and the concept of vicious cycles versus virtuous cycles? Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess the, um, 
these the the book um the self delusion is very much about our uh a kind of systems approach to the human condition it's this idea that you know that the en- energy sort of matter flows through us and we can talk about that you know our cells and dna and actually we think we're sort of discrete but we're not we're sort of deeply connected at a physical level and then we've talked about you know the sort of minds and how our minds are porous and we influence each other so this idea that energy in kind of information just sort of flows through people essentially uh, and matter energy matter information but that that's kind of systems approach I, i've been more recently sort of um working uh, and looking at larger systems and sort of the planetary system as well and how these kind of connections as we talked about the sort of butterfly effect and um these sort of systemic um processes at, at larger scales and one of those that are known as uh, virtue, sorry, vicious cycles where you have this kind of negative uh, cycle, a sort of spiral of decline. And I think that there's a real danger that we don't often recognize those because, you know, these, these cycles can be quite sort of complex, but there's lots of evidence that, um, when, as we talked about, when people feel more individualistic and when cultures sort of encourage us to become more individualistic and, and, and essentially selfish, that that then destroys the environment because it leads to people being you know, less careful in their behaviors about how they protect the natural world. Then the consequence of that, a degradation of the environment. And then that actually can lead to, to a worsening of that, that cycle. Because essentially when, you know, if we destroy, uh, remove nature from our towns and cities and, and they become sort of, you know, urban, um, you know, areas that are sort of ugly and we don't have exposure to that, that kind of nature then that causes mental health problems and it reduces our capacity to, you know, develop pro-environmental behavior. And also how do you love nature if you've, you've, you've not grown up in a place where you can kind of experience it. If you speak to many people who really sort of, um, you know, nature's just sort of really important to them. It's often because they've had a formative experience when they were younger, when they, you know, like I was talking about seeing those out the weaver ants on the plants. Well, if I'd have been brought up in a, in an urban, you know, city where there were no, uh, and it's, I wouldn't have had that experience and I wouldn't have had the love of nature in that sense. So it's really important that we, um, you know, rewild our towns and cities and villages so that we can actually expose young people to nature and they can forge those important bonds and kind of restore that sense of identity. There was also other processes that go on that kind of create those vicious cycles. So at the level of, um, uh, how how we respond to shocks in society. And there's some really nice research that, uh, well, I say nice, but also quite worrying that when, when um, countries are exposed to shocks, like not just financial shocks or things like earthquakes, but also what, what climate change is doing as well, you know, wildfires and floods, then those societies respond and it, it's responding in an adaptive way because that what they do is they, they stick together, they, they become tighter. And so they, they develop a much more sort of uh, coherent, smaller identity, but that comes at the expense of antagonism without groups. So you can see, you know, and you can see this happening with, you know, let's say in America, when they're saying, you know, uh, America first, you know, it's a coherency within America, but it's coming at the expense of saying, build a wall and, you know, don't let, uh, you know, other people into our country. And the same in the UK, we've had Brexit where we've, you know, um, uh, which is basically saying let's let's divorce ourselves from Europe and let's you know we we don't want migration etc. So you see this kind of fragmentation into smaller groups that become tight themselves, 
but actually have more antagonism elsewhere. And that's problematic because a lot of the problems like climate change and biodiversity loss and air pollution and ocean pollution are all transnational. They're kind of beyond national borders. And actually going into these smaller groups at the level of nations or even regions, um, it is really problematic because actually this is a time when in the face of these big, big global crises, we need to kind of need to step up and become, in my view, um, much more embracing of other cultures and other places and reduce that xenophobia and actually develop this more sense of global citizenship and sort of, you know, the oneness of humanity as, as well as all life, as opposed to saying, you know, let's stick together in our nation and we can ride this out because in the face of globalized problems, you know, you can't just shut yourself off from the world. They're going to come back and bite you. So, um, I, I, there's a danger that, you know, we're at this crossroads where we either go and there were some positive shoots and maybe that, that kind of should talk about not just negative, but the positive side is the virtuous cycles that if you do create this sense of sort of larger identity, and maybe we do see it in like the school climate strikes and, and, you know, certain groups that, you know, let's say the school children going on strike, they're saying, this is my education at risk here, but I'm doing it because of this sense of like, I want to protect the planet and I feel a sense of responsibility to the world and future generations. And that sense of identity, I think is very promising because that's the type of, um, shift we need to, um, solve these problems. Yeah. I went to one of those, um, school strikes with my daughter and it was really wild to, to see just all these young people. And you feel, you feel the, there was energy being exchanged in the air, just of what you were saying of, of teaching them to look outside of their own little world and look at the global world and, um, in order to become more aware about climate and things like that. Yeah. Mm. Do you think like we're also, because we're in a country where I'm in Italy, they have mm. the different dialects, you know, in different countries, different, sorry, different valleys mm -hmm. because they're very. So before they were all much more tribal, you know, now, do you think it's like now we're in, they're in bigger countries, do you think there's, it's actually, we are, they are less, less self and they're in a bigger tribe. Do you think that helps or? I mean, I suppose there has to be a way to organize societies that, um, that uh, it reconciles these different levels, you know, it's not. It, it, when when we're sort of talking about global citizenship, it's not this idea that we just enter a big melting pot and we become homogenized. Because I think that would be, you know, a travesty in a way. Because well, these... that, that is happening, though, isn't it? Because we're all educated the same way. We'll watch the same TV shows. We're all in the same, yeah, news channels, social media. Yeah, and that 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 itself, you know, can be problematic. So I think protect, you know, these cultures that have developed, uh, you know, there's, there's value in, in those different, different viewpoints and different perspectives. So it's more about, um, you know, kind of, uh, unity and diversity and, mm -hmm. you know, many countries are actually founded on those ideas, like the, um, um, the European unions logo and the America, uh, USA logo, it's USA is e plura, pluribus unum the, from the many one and the same similar idea with, um, the European union one. Uh, which I won't say because I'll probably get the Latin wrong, but essentially the idea is sort of unity and diversity. And it's this idea that we, we, you know, these cultures are valuable and, and amazing, but actually we work as a sort of larger unit as well. And, and I think, um, yeah, that, that's important, certainly. Um, 
what are your tips for um, helping others to feel more connected with humans and with nature, right? People, I guess, that more uh, introverted or socially anxious, like, yeah, because, um, yeah, we know that it's, it is so important to be connected. You got any tips for people like that? Yeah, I think, um, I think there's, there's no one, um, one size fits all solution because people, you know, come from different backgrounds. They've got different sort of, um, interests and there are different ways to maybe move towards that expanding sort of, of worldview and sense of self. And for some people it might come through, um, you know, introspective practice, like mindfulness meditation. And there's lots of science showing that that actually, um, I mean, really, you know, um, sophisticated science, look at the level of you know, neuroscience, looking at how regions in the brain, uh, there's an area called the default mode network, which is responsible for our kind of self-rumination. Well, actually these areas get sort of um, down-regulated when we meditate for longer periods uh, or just not even long time, but just, you know, 10 minutes a day, uh, five days a week or something can actually have noticeable uh, changes in, in our brains that actually makes us less of that a stronger sort of egoic identity where we, you know, we, we feel isolated and individuals and, and, and then much more of us, um, yeah, a sense of connection to the rest of the world and, and greater empathy and compassion. So, you know, that's one clear route, which is well evidenced by, um, by science. The other approach is some, some people, um, like to look outwards and feel more connected to nature. And so, you know, just going for a nature walk. But not you know walking along looking at your phone you, you have to actually be um actively experiencing nature Listen and it's an audiobook podcast yeah well i will not come on to that in, in a moment actually there is um that's another sort of possible route but i think the, the experience in nature route is is very much it's about not just sort of even the duration of time that you're outdoors but the kind of it's the moments i suppose not the minutes it's it's those moments where you're really experiencing nature through painting or just watching or listening to birdsong and that can create this um yeah reduce this sense of isolated individualism and um and also it um there's lots of evidence showing it it has benefits for mental health in terms of reducing anxiety and depression and, and stress so th those are practices and practices are very important because you can know the theory. Um, like I, I could know the theory of how an Olympic archer fires an arrow into a target. Um, you could explain in detail, like how, you know, the, the, the movements and where you should be placed, but I couldn't go and do it. You know, you have to then train it's, and, and your musicians, you know, that suppose, you know, it's the actual training of the neural networks that allow you to play the instrument. It's not just the, the theory, it's a sort of combination of both. Mm -hmm. But the theory is important in a way because maybe it can help us um, when we understand the importance um, of uh, these the, the practice. It kind of gives us motivation to do it. So I think that's where sort of for me the book that I, that I wrote was was trying to partly it was a sort of learning experience and and really delving into some of these ideas and and um, s synthesizing those different. Um, elements around sort of inner change and and kind of outer protect you know net conservation uh but also it was to see well if i kind of envisioned each chapter almost being like a painting and the idea was to sort of it touches on a different aspect of how 
we're connected from our physical bodies and our bacteria and, you know, all these, um, um, you know, our DNA kind of just being, uh, essentially one web of connectedness that, that we're just a, you know, a part of that. So all these ideas is each chapter is sort of individually like that. And the idea was that maybe it's, it creates this sense of, of connectedness. And I wanted to sort of measure that. So there's a survey that I associated with the book and people could do it before and after. And the idea was to see if it does engender that sense of, of connectedness. And there's some, you know, it's still early days, but it, it's looking like it can increase that sense of nature connectedness and social connectedness. But I don't think that's just the solution. You know, just knowledge is not the key. I think the practice is crucially important. And, um, you know, even I've written the book and pulled the ideas together, but it's quite likely that as I, you know, unless <clears throat> you kind of revisit the ideas and put them into practice through, you know, um, through trying to create these experiences of connectedness that it, it can, you can kind of lose it because as we've talked about, our minds are like sponges. And so if you're in a culture, which is very sort of consumerist and materialist and individualistic, it's very difficult, difficult not to suddenly snap back into that mode of kind of isolated, egoic thinking. Mm. Um. Do you want another question from me? Maybe just jump in with something. I was thinking what you said about, um, I was wondering whether the, the sense of self is more developed now or less developed because you talk a lot about Buddhist meditation. So I heard someone say somewhere about mindfulness techniques that, um, they were actually developed in the Buddhist time when people actually had a stronger sense of self, you know, they all had, they had more stresses. You now they were fighting for their food and more you know, different, different educations and, and particularly the passion and things like that. It's very hard and to break down that sense of identity. Do you think perhaps people now have a, have a less developed sense of self? Yeah. And I think that's, yeah, there's some, um, if, if some psychologists, um, t talk, for example, about, um, the, you need, and this was the big push for sort of developing self-esteem, I guess, initially from the sort of eighties onwards that, you know, it's building self-esteem because it's important and to have this kind of sense of self allows people to kind of be resilient and to ride through the stresses of life. And, you know, you can see that there's some, there's some logic in those arguments and actually when sort of meditation approaches, they're not about, um, not allowing that sense of self to develop, but they're actually go, they're about recognizing that we have an ego and, you know, but we, it goes beyond that. And, you know, having an ego is, is important because it allows us to function on an everyday basis. You know, we need a sense of self and part of the, the book is talking about, you know, the evolution of, of us, our sense of self. It allows us to interact socially. It allows us to, you know, hold memories in a sort of coherent whole and, you know, so we can act in the world. So it's not about abolishing the sense of self because we'd all just be, you know, bumbling around with no, no objectives and no, no way to kind of allow us to survive. But actually, um, it's about recognizing that we have an ego, but not allowing it to become so strong that it, it, uh, that it, it twists reality into something that it's not, uh, and, and, and we're into this sort of delusion that we are completely isolated because yes, we have a sense of self, but actually we are also part of these much greater holes and, you know, there's some 
research, for example, that shows that when people have this sort of metapersonal identity, so beyond personal, metapersonal, they don't lose the ego. They just have it as well. So they can switch between the, the, the different ways of thinking. They can think at a higher level and, and being part of a sort of greater entity, and they can think at the sort of egoic level as well. But people who haven't developed that sort of metapersonal level of identity are kind of traps in that sort of more egoic thinking. So I think, you know, you can, it, it's not about saying we, we don't need a sense of self. It's about saying, yes, a sense of self is an important part of even of mental health, but actually going beyond that, we can become even more, um, uh, we can develop even further and, and recognize its limitations. That's an interesting, like for a psychologist, that's really interesting. If too much ego or not enough, not strong enough ego can be, it's destroying the planet. And Oh, quite a few, I guess, talking about corporations and I had Joel Bakken on and he, he really opened my eyes that corporations are, they are, have a psychopathic personality and they are destroying the planet and all their actions because things like recycling, the idea of recycling, it was a corporate idea to push the responsibility onto us. And these ideas that we're, we're affecting the climate and our decisions, which, which companies we shop with. It's the corporate corporate structure that is destroying the planet, and they have they are they have the legal rights of a person, but they have a psychopathic personality. So it's their behaviour that is that is in that we have to change. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that yeah that, and I think that's that there's a danger that we can sort of some people will say oh it's all the system and. You know, it's 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 out there, but but actually, I think I mean I agree with what you, what you say there. The sentiment that we've created these companies that essentially, yeah, to some degree are, especially, you know, when they're just developing profit for shareholders at the exclusion of all else, um, and even if it then creates these terrible impacts elsewhere. And there, but there's sort of more. There are some newer um, framings for companies around sort of B corps, you know, benefit corporations that try to think about the broader sort of set of stakeholders. And they're a drop in the ocean, aren't they? They are, yeah. I think that's, but those changes in mindsets about, you know, what is a company for and deeper sort of thinking about our own um, responsibilities in the world can then transform those structures. And I think um, that that's the, the links between those, yeah, the inner and the outer really interests me in terms of you know, how we can kind of change mindsets and cascade up to create those institutional changes around companies and our legislative systems, but equally how those systems also influence people and can sometimes constrain us. And so it's a sort of back and forth and there's no, there's no, if someone tells you they know the answer, that it's all in the system or it's all in the mindset, you know, it's not right because it's a sort of complex set of feedbacks. But what that does mean is that there's opportunities to intervene at different points. And so you know, uh, in these, in, in any kind of vicious cycle, as it were, there's, there's kind of multiple places that we could start to try to change things. Uh, yeah. I mean, for the subject, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think, um, if there's, there's a danger as well that sort of, and I don't want to sort of pro problematize it as it were. And, 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 um, I think there's also us, even though, you know, the world is changing in a way, which some might say is very worrying and is very worrying in terms of climate change and, um, you know, some of these, you know, war, et cetera, that we, we see, I think there's also a growing awareness and, um, 
through, through yeah, uh, uh, there's a potential for a kind of uh, remarkable transformation in, in human identity. And I think we're at the cusp of that in, in a bigger change in consciousness where we start to, you know, become much more, almost a sense of global consciousness. And I'm not talking about that we'll just become one big mind because it's not like we're going to, like the ants, where we o operate as a genuine super organism in that sense, homogenized, but actually, you know, but the extent that which we can move people from these sort of isolated, egoic, uh, you know, people feeling unhappy because they're isolated and they're anxious and depressed to a much more sense, uh, broader sense of identity. And I think for me that we shouldn't forget the kind of awe and the beauty that you get from sort of a, a worldview of, uh, which sort of emphasizes this connectedness and, you know, from just as a biologist, you know, the connectedness of life is amazing, really, that even our DNA, um, you know, it flows through us. It's not ours. It comes from our ancestors and we'll pass it on to ancestors to come. And actually a lot of that DNA comes from other organisms as well. So we're 30% or 33% uh, bacterial DNA in us. And I, I like to think of it as kind of, well, I suppose you, as, you're, as musicians, it's probably maybe an apt analogy that if you think of the DNA, the, the bacteria or the early cells that first evolved kind of playing a, a rhythm or something. And then we've, you know, uh, multicellular life and eukaryotic life has then built upon that rhythm. So we've still got the base rhythm, the 33%, but is the, is genuinely the bacterial code is in us, but then we've got these other elements and we share in like 95, 99% of our DNA with other apes as well. And not more than 99.9% .9 with other humans. So we're all just variations on a kind of, you know, musical score that's been layered up over, over evolution. Um, I mean, I suppose Sally song, you you had a song called we are the music which in the sense is maybe up there that, um, that kind of harmony of life and some biologists like Lynn, there was one called Lynn Margulie who, who saw life as one sort of great interconnected entity, which is sort of taken over the whole earth. And for me, that, that there's a kind of awe in that sense of, of oneness that, you know, um, and it's not, it's not, um, it requires a bit of imagination, but actually it's, it's the physical truth in terms of, of just the biology of it. Um, and I think, you know, overcoming that illusion uh, and this sort of delusion, if it's a harmful illusion is actually, it creates a sense of relief and expansiveness and joy. So even in the face of crisis and the kind of global crisis, you know, we can still find that joy and find that resilience. And, um, yeah, I think for me, that's an important theme at the moment, sort of finding in joy in adversity, um, because you know, we're, we're in troubled times, but at the same time, um, it only takes one moment to kind of realize the, the truth of your existence and find joy in that. So I think, yeah. Good lyrics here. Just write them down there. My big joy. <laughs> um, I was going to ask um, if you're working on another book at the moment or um, are you not working on another book? No, no, I'm, I'm trying to. Yeah. And I think that the, some of the ideas we discussed about those, um, those larger cycles around the, yeah. the vicious cycles and the virtuous cycles is, is something I'm interested in. And it's, a, it's our human relationship with nature. Um, 
and how that can create, you know, we can degrade that relationship um, or we can actually restore it. And actually it's, it's, it's maybe like a spiral, a human nature spiral in a sense, because um, our relationship with nature, can, we can feel that we're separate, like the, the spiral spinning apart and it can be negative sort of spirals, but also we can, um, we can actually restore it and we can feel more connected to nature. And as we restore nature and we bring it back to our towns and cities and we, we, you know, we learn about it and we feel more connected, we, we look after it more. So again, nature is then more restored. So it's creating that, that virtuous um, cycle. And actually the nice idea of a spiral is that it's not a separate, the two elements on a spiral are not separate. That's all part of the same uh, entity anyway. So I think that's, that's the next the next topic it it follows on from the self delusion but but it's much more about sort of nature relationships okay it sounds great yeah it's such a such a uplifting message but at the, at the same time it it's very materialistic you know because you actually broke my heart with one sentence in your book you said uh, my tendency to intuitively believe in mind over matter and more generally in the supernatural was an inherent cognitive bias a systematic failure in rational judgment. Like, so where's the spirituality here? You know, where's the, where, where's it gone? So, yeah. So that was, that, that sentence was, um, was saying that, okay, when I was younger, um, just to add the context that I've, you know, this intuitive belief that we could sort of, you know, influence the natural world with our minds. Yeah. Um, which. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, well, I, I think that for, for me, because um, I was thinking of these experiments, like maybe, and I mean, literally, I was thinking, okay, well, what can we influence the way an insect turns left or right if we just concentrate on it? And, um, you know, now, now I realize understanding how insect behavior works and how kind of, you know, brain waves work. I think that's a fanciful theory. It's, it wasn't non-scientific in the sense that I wanted to test it with an experiment. Um, and, but actually it just was probably a, like a, a, a very long shot of a, of a, of a hypothesis. But what about the soul and reincarnation and spirituality? Well, I think this is, this is the other part of that, that, um, sentence that you read that saying, well, I, I realized that, that, that supernatural element, you know, was, was fanciful, but actually even, even deeper than that, I realized that the kind of idea that we have a mind, uh, that's separate it is, is itself an illusion and that to me was a sort of deeper finding that um that that yeah i i, I felt i've been living a lot of my my life under the illusion that we are that you have a kind of discrete mind but actually it's it's so you're saying god you're do you believe in god in that yeah, there, there is a universal yeah not in the traditional sense of a kind of uh you know Father figure sat in the yeah. clouds, but actually, maybe a more pantheistic idea of you know that that God is in everything, and um, it's the fractal nature of of spirituality that you can look at, um, you know, a, a, a leaf, and if you stare, at, you know, a tiny part of a leaf, and actually, it holds the whole universe there because of that connectedness and links to everything else. Um, that that you can look at any small part of the universe and see that that bigger picture. So you are spiritual. I'm not quite, you're not really answering the question. No, yes. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm trying to get, because everyone's to the left or the right of some people. Yeah. yeah. I think spirituality is really important. I think we've, we've underplayed it in our kind of 
materialistic sort of mechanistic worldview. Mm. But I think that's changing. And but also I think it's not a, it's not a rejection of of all the enlightenment principles about and rationality. And it's not saying that that's all wrong. And let's go back to, um, you know, just make you know things that aren't logical. It's about a sort of evidence-based spirituality. And I think the, this idea that, um, you know, for example, we can now sort of start to measure what practices that allow you to, to feel um, a greater connection to, if you want to call it God or nature or, or oneness. But we can actually, in an evidence-based way, we'll say, okay, does reading this book work? What about a computer game? Can you devise a computer game that makes you feel more connected to other people? What about a song? You know, can, can you do a before and after study of, you know, um, how do people feel before listening to song and after? And, and so you can start to see, well, which, what things work best. And then we, we can maybe see avenues to develop our education systems in a way where we're, we're not um, essentially doing the opposite of basically surrounding our children with cultures that says, you know, be more individualistic and build self-esteem and sell yourself as a brand. I mean, that is such a sickening message to me to sort of sell yourself as a brand because a brand is something that's, <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's constant and it's solid and it's there, but actually we know that the human mind and our, our identities are sort of in a state of flux and connectedness. Mm. So trying to sort of think of yourself as a brand, even though you're in the inherent truth is that you're, you're changing all the time, obviously creates that sense of cognitive dissonance, which is then obviously going to create anxiety. So I think we've, we've, we haven't done our kids any favors with the way we, we've sort of, um, surrounded them with this culture, but actually this evidence-based spirituality, maybe we've got a way to sort of say, well, here are different practices and approaches to, you know, become more aware of your body and your physiology and you know in touch with your emotions here's a way to you know meditate and become more resilient in that sense to to stresses to feel more connected to feel joy to feel happiness um there's some really nice work about sense of awe that when people feel a sense of awe um that they tend to um then have more pro-social behaviors as well and 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 look after the world because what a sense of all is doing is it's suddenly it's breaking down in a kind of moment that sense of isolated individuality and just making you realize that there's more to the world than what's in your own head and your own thoughts mm -hmm. and that there's this huge big world out there of like planets and dinosaurs and you know nature and giant redwood trees and that sense of of shattering of the kind of um just me and my mind creates that in in instant sense of um something bigger and then that mm -hmm. then engenders a sense of sort of compassion and and pro social yeah pro environmental and pro social pro social sentiment in people i guess mm -hmm. so i think there's a really uh, important avenue for art um uh, and this is from a you know a scientist saying but i i do think it's really important because it's through those sense of you know that sense of awe that we we find some of that um uh spiritual connection and then we can measure it through science. And that sounds a bit, that sounds a bit cold hearted, <laughs> but actually, you know, we can then start to understand, well, what, what types of approaches are most effective at engendering that sense of awe. Um, so it's a, it's a complementary. Uh, I, I get it. I get it. Without the other. You're like a gateway drug, you know, you're like trained to the system from within trying to, you're behind the lions. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I, I guess, um, yeah, I mean, how do you mean, like, how, how, 
trying to transform the the the, the way science the direction trying to turn the ship that the the, uh, the tank the oil tanker that is science in on a in a gradual or in a gradual gentler turning circle yeah I, yeah I, I think and there's lots of, yeah and there's lots of um there have been lots of thinkers you know who have been trying to sort of do the same and I think um that our worldviews are changing away from this sort of big focus on sort of uh, rationalism and logic being the key way with which you can just run the world and actually this greater recognition that um there is a, a massive role for um spiritual development human spiritual development and that's what has just been you know forgotten maybe not forgotten but pushed to the kind of lower substrata of our kind of consciousness um but actually, I think now there's a great recognition that we've, we've developed quite well technologically, mm. but if we don't have the wisdom to control that technology, then it's, it's very dangerous. So these approaches to developing sort of wisdom, um, the left and right brain thing. Yeah. And, um, and wisdom at individual level and wisdom at the sort of organizational level as well. And so some of that comes into sort of systems thinking and, and, um, there's, there's lots of approaches now to sort of think about how to train business managers and politicians, et cetera, in systems thinking. Um, and actually some really nice, well, interesting stuff showing that concert, you know, very highly right-wing conservative thinkers aren't very good at systems thinking. Uh, they like things black and white and they don't like, they don't like to tolerate ambiguity. They like things certain. Left brain. Yeah. But, but. And, but the mind, it, it, but sorry, the world is inherently, you know, complex and mm. uncertain. And actually you need to sometimes hold that uncertainty and think about, you know, an event might have multiple causes, not just one. And if a person appears to be lazy, it's not just because they're lazy in the end of story. It's like, well, what is causing the constraints on their, you know, doing something? And maybe it's, you know, an outer constraint, or maybe there's something that happened when they were young, they were abused, or there's lots of different causes that, that meet to to, you know, uh, affect something. And that, that sort of ability to think in that system's way is, is very important for problems like climate change and other environmental problems and social problems as well. So I think, um, yeah, that's a, um, a scientific reason not to, not to vote too right wing perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I won't be voting. Uh, right wing sure. <laughs> but uh, got a big uplift you've got the right songwriter for uplifting positive because your message is positive in the heart that's which is great yeah emotional people our producer i worked with once kept saying wow you've got a lot of emotionally uplifting songs and i was like it's just how my brain works <laughs> yeah no i think it's great and um yeah and i hope yeah i, I hope the ideas come across oh yeah i'm not sort of being too negative because i think there's a danger when you talk about big global environmental problems it can seem a bit sort of you know, negative but i think as i said the the key message is is one of sort of empowerment and all yeah. and, and and connectedness and um, yeah i yeah, know your songs maybe are just right i think and um i said to jack i can't you know that the one two three four song uh that you wrote for feist is um i can't listen to it without a big sort of smile and uplifting oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, good, yeah. <laughs> That'd be something if she inspires a, a global hit for the your yeah. about the self-division. Yeah, if you could just do that again, uh, that'd be great. <laughs>
<laughs> Brilliant. Well, if there's anything else, I mean, uh, any other final thoughts, anyone? Just to say thanks really, cause it's, it's, um, yeah, it's lovely to kind of chat to you, but also to, yeah, the idea that, you know, Sally might be able to write a song, which just incorporates a few of these ideas. is really exciting. And I kind of, as I said, I think the, um, yeah, linking kind of art with science to me is something that's really important and, and to be done in a, in a more meaningful way. Cause as a scientist, sometimes <clears throat> the, just quickly, I suppose that some of the research councils recognize the importance of like art and science working together, but often it's a bit of a kind of, um, add on, you know, they'll say, oh, here's a big science experiment. Now we're going to get an artist to come and like, um, you know, draw, draw a couple of pictures and stick them on the wall at the, um, at the conference or something. And I don't think to me, that's not quite the same as the sort of more deep, deeper sort of integration of, you know, putting ideas in as a sort of base of a song, for example, or, or the base of artwork, yeah. et cetera. And, and, um, this, and also this, what we're doing is the exact, um, thing that you talk about in the self delusion is that we are connecting and. Oh, there we go. Yeah. That, <laughs> so yeah. Money. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, uh, we, yeah. Whenever we speak to people, we're, we're literally changing their brains, aren't we? So, um, yeah, totally. yeah. You kind of forget that, that you're, yeah. Um, there's kind of ways of neural activation are sort of reflecting in each other's pattern, each other's minds. Also, if you were a songwriter, Tom, this was something you would be doing because you've won a few awards for, uh, communicating science to the layman or woman. So. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not very good at uh, songwriting. I like, I've been playing the, the djembe drums recently in a group. Um, but I'm not sure I could, uh, write songs to the level of YouTube. So uh, I'll rely on the, uh, the professional thing. <laughs> yeah, but it's condensing down an idea, isn't it? So, so people can digest it more easily. Yeah. 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 Great. Well, thanks so much for spending the time. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks cool. for you. Yeah. Thanks. And look forward to, uh, to connecting more. Yeah. All right. We'll let, we'll let you keep, we'll keep you updated with our progress. Super, yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you. Right. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. I'll stay, I'll stay on with Sally for a moment and just uh, talk okay. about the song. Cool. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. Well, how was that? Hi. Good. Yeah. Was that okay? Oh yeah. <laughs> Super. It gives you, it touches so many different areas, doesn't it? Of... Yeah. It's fascinating. That's why you're yeah, reading the book. It's just each page. It's just like a fascinating story and then this other like it's really i found it um just completely relatable and interesting and yeah it's good yeah no, i haven't read it yet he's going to send me a copy so i didn't have time to read the pdf but um reading on the screen like that he's going to send us the real deal so also I had one book about one song about tragedy of the commons which is another idea where you know these you have to everyone you have to rush down to cut down all the trees before other people do it's this race to disgrace the bottom. So it really, it really ties in with so many different other, other subjects I've talked about. And also with those, those, when I was thinking about those ants, you know, how it's the, how in it should be a queen at the front though, but in, in our society, it's often a man with a harem and yeah. you know, these, these, these billionaires are now owning I think it's the top five or six people or eight people have as much wealth as 50% of the poorest people, popular people in the world. Mm. It's like some, some crazy accumulation of wealth. 
madness. Mm. Dissolution of self. And, yeah. I loved how um, I had my list of questions and about my second or third question was about ants. And he just, and he, and to comment on his fascination with ants. And he just started talking about it straight away before I even got to the question. That they've just shaped his his life. He's <laughs> really funny. I was still a bit confused about to what extent he was religious or spiritual. He, did, he didn't, he's kind of skirted around it. Or was that just me? Oh, in the book, he, I think he makes it clear in the book that he doesn't believe in like God, like a Christian God. Or, mm. but I think, but he's definitely spiritual. Um, I've got, I mean, I, I would probably describe myself as being the same because um, I love yoga and meditating and um i don't know but I, de I definitely don't sort of you know agree that much with organized religion or believing in god that kind of god but there is a spirit behind all the just because when start people talk about dna and you know yeah. the you know being molecules and you're this many pieces of that much you're you're, you're just the matter i kind of get a bit like I'm more that I am more that I am conscious. I know it's like when you're trying to argue with someone that they're conscious about consciousness these days, it feels like, yeah, bit of a head bang. <laughs> but I have to read his whole, I have to read the book, get him on again. Yeah. Yeah. I highly recommend it. It's great. All right. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, um, I'll have a, a go at a little song as well and can't wait to hear what you come up with and we can bounce some ideas back and forth and um yeah okay yeah yeah how do you how did you want to do it just like um just that sort of thing yeah um, yeah I'm, I'm sure we're going to go with your song but i'll do it back up just in case someone is or we can sometimes they just one line i make because i made a lot of notes so maybe one yeah one lyric can help you with something or yeah. but, but i'm talking to not not many of my um you're the, the most professional song I've had on the show. So I don't really have, I don't really have an issue with, you know, <laughs> with, with you. I mean, you, you sneeze the songs. So yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll have a bit of a go and we'll just keep in touch and just, yeah. Take Beautiful. <laughs> Super excited, Sally. Okay. <laughs> great. All right. Good evening. Good I will. Yeah. I'm all tired. I look very tired. <laughs> <laughs> all right, bye. Bye-bye. Walking off through the night As though in a dream Up till early You be the forge, be the 
between 